Hello, welcome to James Bond and Friends. Today is February the 18th, 2022, um, and it's our 60th anniversary year. So this got me thinking recently about the longevity of the series so far and how we have different generations of Bond fans and how maybe parts of the franchise are becoming a little inaccessible um, some, for some of the newer guys. So with that in mind, I'd like to introduce the panel today. It's Bill Koenig and David Lee. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Koenig uh, with the blog The Spy Command, and I also, having finished up the Bond 25 timeline, have started <laughs> a Bond 26 timeline, but I'm being very conservative about I'm not doing entries very quickly. And I'm David Lee. I run the James Bond Dossier uh, website and a monthly newsletter, and I'm here sipping a very large rum and coke in my bomb shelter. <laughs> as events play out mm-hmm. um, yeah um so because it's the 60th anniversary of the year say so i've been reflecting a little bit about the generations of bond fans we have um i was probably one of those pre-gold night folks that came on board in the in the in the um, hinterland years of the early 90s um and i put out a tweet the other day which was basically in 2028 Goldeneye will be the halfway point of the franchise in terms of years, which is it just That's strikes nuts, me as, isn't it? It strikes me as really weird that that movie feels recent-ish compared to the rest of the franchise, and it's like no, that's the halfway point now. Well, yeah. it will be in twenty twenty-eight. But the, the the thing is, the thing is, James. I mean, since since I've known you, we have had the fortieth anniversary, the fiftieth yep. anniversary, <laughs> and the sixtieth anniversary. Um, and you know, and also, I, I, I'd like to point out my my website. I, I, you've been doing it for longer than I have, but my website's yeah. been going for twenty years now, um, yeah. as of last month, and that is a third of the entire time that the Bond series has been going for it which, yes. which blows my mind I, I can't believe it and and most of the internet um well, and I was, I, was, I was just 23 and that's like really early but um and i was just going to say at the time golden eye seemed like a revival it was like every you know it was like everything had been refreshed you know in 95 you know just before the the movie came out you know, they had the second of two official James Bond um, fan conventions. And mm-hmm. like everything was like, everything's back on track. It's great. And now you look back, it's like, oh, that's a well, long time ago. <laughs> it was, it was almost, it was also um, a clean slate. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. apart from Desmond Llewellyn, right? It was a clean slate um, in terms of production. Um and now to think that by the time Bond 26, let's be realistic, maybe, maybe it's out on Blu-ray, 2028, um, it's hard to think that, that that's halfway through the franchise. Um, so to all those folks out there that think like, no, we don't need to wipe the slate clean after Craig because, you know, oh, it's like, well, they did that already. And then that was almost 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Ah, oh, thirty years ago. It's, well, by I mean, the time the twenty six is yeah, in, no, the, in I, our I, rearview I know, mirror, but it, it just—it it, it doesn't seem to add up to my life. It, no, <laughs> you know, well, 
I, when, when I sit down and, and add the numbers up, it makes sense, but it doesn't feel like it. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. And and there's also okay, that makes sense as a way of looking at it. Another way of make of trying to make sense of it is if you do it strictly by number of films, I would say Octopussy was kind of the halfway point. Um, you know, technically in terms of number of films, it would be twelve point five. So it would be the first half of Octopussy, but let's let's leave mm-hmm. that aside. But but I think figuratively, I think Octopussy is a good place because that of course was coming out with uh uh broccoli cubby broccoli facing competition for the last time in terms of bond with never say never again with sean connery and also um it also marks the arrival of barbara broccoli yeah as you know in in terms of full-time on the involvement yeah because you know octopussy was her first on-screen credit she had done some part-time work on uh the spy who loved me like writing captions on publicity stills but you know but in 1982 she graduated college and then octopussy went into production later that year and that was her beginning again full-time everyday you know involvement with the franchise yeah um when i was thinking about this to me in my mind if you said where is the halfway point in the film series i'd say end of roger because of that numerical 12 and a half films, Mark, I was thinking like end of Octopus, beginning of you to go, but you're right, it's 12 and a half, it's the middle of Octopus. But yeah, for, that, for, that's, if, if you're looking at the spines of the DVDs on the shelf, that's the halfway point. Yeah. Like if you were to space those DVDs out on a timeline, right? it's scary to think that somewhere between License to Kill and Goldeneye is actually the halfway point now. Well, well technically, in terms of years, it'd be 1992, right in the middle of that uh, yeah. hiatus because right. of legal issues, which we won't go into here. But yeah, I mean, but what? however you define it, it's been a long time. And yeah, it's it's scary. And and here's the thing. I um, We were talking about this before we recorded. So I made the comment in a text message, you know, for fans who were there at the early stages of the of the film franchise they're in their 60s in my case or even 70s there's a friend of mine he was a big bond collector until he auctioned it all off and he saw it from dr no onwards and he's in his very early 70s so yeah it's 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 a reminder of the passage of time yeah um and i was thinking um we're not going to be too far away, and this is going to sound morbid, but we're not going to be too far away from a new Bond film comes out and there won't be too many people left who were around for the original release in 62, 63, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on, that saw it. Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're long past the point where most people who made them have gone, right? Um, I think now- Joanna Harwood might be the last one, or at least you know, one of the last mm-hmm. ones. Well, yeah, and in terms of cast members, I mean, we were doing the maths the other day, and it's we're basically down to one or two per film now. Yeah, I mean, it. uh, and it's yeah. usually the the leading women because they were very young when they were cast. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're we're getting close to being outside of living memory for this. Um, and then I thought, well, obviously, we've kind of had that in the back of our minds about the books for a while. Because yes, yeah, for for you to be an adult. 
which was the demographic, a young adult, you know, reading it on vacation or whatever, which was Fleming's demographic. For you to have been there to do that, you'd have had to be born in 1930 to be 20-ish when he started writing his books. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and even, there's not even, too many people around that were born, born in 1930 that are actively Bond fans. Yeah, <laughs> and even, even with the con, uh, continuation novels, I mean, it's been 40 years since the start of the Gardner books, for yeah. example. So even that is, you know, it's, it's trust me, given my age, this is all, <laughs> this all weighs <laughs> on me. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I I, I remember um, when you know I I remember sitting down with my family when the films was first on British television and you know it just started with Doctor No in was it seventy five or something like that mm-hmm. and um, then I think initially it was one once and and once a year they they um, yeah. showed an, another one for a while until they they relaxed the whole um, yeah. you know time between um script cinema to, to tv but um you know, the, the the thing is people don't watch television in the same way and so you don't you're not going to have that kind of bonding within families even if people want to watch old films and it, it, it's to me it seems like people don't watch old films anymore here here in the u.s we're coming up it'll be in september on the 50th anniversary of Bond films going on television for the first time. Here mm-hmm. they started with Goldfinger. And during the Summer Olympics of 72, ABC, the, network, the U.S. network, here was like advertising Goldfinger, like all throughout those Olympics, you know, for two solid weeks or whatever it was. And, and, and in fact, at the time there was, you know, TV Guide is still being published, but it was a lot more influential then. So like when... Bond movies went to television. It was actually on the cover of TV Guide. Mm-hmm. It was considered that much of an event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was. It was the same in the the UK. I mean, obviously, uh, UK is a bit more Bond focused, but you know, the the the, the TV Times was the um, was the yeah. TV Guide in the UK. Yeah, I, I think in those days it only covered ITV, so you had to get it the Radio Times if you wanted BBC as well. It was crazy. Yeah, people and, complain about streaming services now. You yeah. have to buy two two different listing guides every yeah. week. And um and but you could almost guarantee that the cover would be about Bond. Mm-hmm. Went the first for the first viewing. Yeah. yeah. And and obviously every Christmas. I mean we did a piece on that a couple of Christmases ago about how just how the whole Christmas holiday in the TV guys anchored around, they called it the Bond film, right? Yeah. Of the year. Um, but again, there was nowhere else to really discover them unless you had Laserdisc, which was right. expensive. Um, so yeah, to your point, David, with, with television getting away from showing films because I think they've just given up on them um, in terms of advertising and people have other means of watching movies now if it's DVDs, Blu-rays or streaming or whatever. Oh, sure. so, Broadcast TVs kind of, apart from on the holidays, they've kind of um, veered away from showing movies. Yes. So where a new audience is going to discover these old films, is it they're only going to get the new ones and then if they're interested, go backwards? Oh. If, if, if I can tell just one quick anecdote. So when Goldfinger was first on ABC in the, in the States, like I was in high school at the time. I was a freshman in high school. And the next day, everybody at school was talking about it. 
you know, they, you know, everybody had seen it. You know, of course, back in those days, you had three commercial channels. It was a lot different, but it was just, you know, it was a huge event. And like I said, at school, everybody was talking about it. Yeah, well, I think I think we talked about this on the live stream the other day, actually, Bill. That I remember when um, From Russia with Love was on TV for the first time, and it, it was shown on a Sunday evening, if if my memory serves me correctly. And so we went into school the next day, and every kid in the class had seen it, apart from one. It, right, yeah. it, it was it, it was just uh, that's what people in the UK were doing on that Sunday night. Right. And 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 in the U.S., it may not have been quite that big, but it was trending in the same direction. People saw it, and I remember with "From Russia with Love," it wasn't it obviously it wasn't the first one on. It was like the second or third, I forget which. But again, the next day, everybody in school's talking about it, and you know, and, and obviously that helped keep you know it it helped recruit bond fans for the mm -hmm. future that's a good way of looking at it is how do we recruit new fans if there aren't these cultural tent poles anymore right? yeah um because uh, we see that on on social media sometimes like if there's a, a bond movie on terrestrial tv in the uk and it's not spectre because that's the one they always like to play every week if it's not spectre it's something else um there's a gang of people on Twitter and Facebook, like let's watch it all together. And the, the, the comments and what they see. And people are like, well, why are you watching it on TV? You have it on Blu-ray. Why are you doing an edited version of commercials? And it's the communal viewing yes. experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on, on Amazon prime now, you can watch movies and do a, a watch along together. And I, I've never tried it. So mm. I don't know how that works exactly, but, um, but you've got I, to go and coordinate people. <laughs> You know, yeah, pick a rhyme right. and all the rest of it. Absolutely, but I think there is, there is a desire to to have the communal viewing experience. Yeah, yeah, right. Which which you don't get with um, uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, etc. Right, and and also I suppose it it's one of the reasons that the, the watch-alongs were so successful because you know basically you you are uh, you, you kind of um, a voyeur of of a, of a communal viewing experience yes good point um so yeah so we've lost if we've lost the tentpole tv um how do we get newer fans into the older films is a tough ask um and i know we mentioned it on the last podcast but the the, the kind of the adjacent british pop culture franchise and tv tv lines doctor who and they went through a hiatus they went through a rebirth and i know plenty of people that are fans of the new version of the show that have never watched the so-called classic era, right? And I'm I, the other I, way I, around. I've never right. seen any of the new ones, the new but ones. I was a fan of the classic ones. <laughs> but I just wonder if we're heading down that road with the Bond series where the Daniel Craig, general population Daniel Craig fans probably aren't pop going to get a DVD of Thunderball or something, right? And maybe they haven't even watched most of the old films, uh, older films, because they're just too far removed. Well, one no. thing that helps Bond is the fact they've all been in color, which sounds elementary, yeah. but mm -hmm. there are younger people who will not watch anything that's in black and white. And But they will watch it on their phone. <laughs> they will, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, it's, 
And there are like so many great films historically on in black and white, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, but it's real. It can be a real chore getting younger people to watch something in black and white. So at least Bond doesn't have that barrier. Mm. Right, um, they're screwed if they want to watch Schindler's List. Then, um, yeah. <laughs> well, didn't they? Didn't they like colorize a lot of Laurel and Hardy stuff to get it to a new audience? Yeah, they, they tried, but it was. I remember seeing it was. It was janky. Cr- yeah, it was jank. Some I've seen more recent colorized things that are like a lot better. It was what I've seen is mostly television, but um, the the colorization technology is a lot better now than it yeah. was thirty years ago when it first was kind of starting. Yeah, it's it's a pity they even think about doing it because if if the if the material's good enough, then uh, it doesn't right. matter if it, if it's color or black and white. I, not- well, yeah, I, I was about to say, and there's some things you can do in black and white in terms of the photography that you can't do in color. And um, I saw this thing with Ursula Andress filmed in black and white on American television. And it actually came out this more or less the same week that Dr. No started filming. So watching her in black and white, you get an idea of what a black and white version of honey mm. rider would have looked at. The show's called uh, thriller was an anthology show, but um, it, she's beautiful in black and white. It's, it's amazing photography. And like I said, you can do some things in black and white. You can't do in, in color. And, I can't explain why. I, I don't right. know enough about the technology, but you know, it's true. Yeah, so we we do have that going for us that we don't have this like early period, um, which would put people off. But I, <clears throat> I'm wondering if, with Amazon's acquisition hopefully going through at some point this year, mm-hmm. there's a platform where they could do Bond Film of the Week on their homepage and have all the end shoulder content, we call it, right? All the making of stuff, behind the scenes photos, couple of guest articles, maybe some talking head videos. And then on Friday night, boom, it drops, right? On Prime, that movie. Yeah, and and, and maybe get those um, making of uh, yeah. documentaries from the hey, right. DVDs. Hey, Amazon, if you want some content, I'll help. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. just to to build a little tent pole around it every yeah. week. I I think that's a, a that's that's a brilliant idea actually. Rather yeah. than just like slapping all twenty five up and say stream whenever you want, whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Right. What's, where's the call to action? Because, yeah. because yeah. there's a lot of great stuff on those making of uh, documentaries from the DVDs, and and I mean I find them extremely watchable. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll like pop in the. D- DVD and just watch the making of. Yeah. I don't have enough time to watch the movie, but I'll watch you know thirty to forty five minutes of yeah, the making I, of. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I, I think they're great. I, I keep meaning to to rip them all so I, I can. Um, <laughs> not for any, not for anything illegal. Just so I can watch them a bit more easily because right. uh, I don't I don't have any kind of uh, working player. It's all done via the computer these days. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. think I've got a working player, but it's not connected to the TV. Um, one of the other things you pointed out in our kind of pre-production text <laughs> was um, this year marks a pretty amazing number of years um, about Bond number three being cast. Yes. I mean, Roger. Yeah. Sir Roger, yes, this this is his fiftieth uh, anniversary of him being cast. Fifty years, yeah, yeah, because they actually began 
filming Live and Let Die in the fall of uh, 1972. So yeah, he was cast 50 years ago, or soon will be 50 years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, that's amazing. And, and again, it goes back to just, here, here's the deal. I mean, Roger Moore, I can remember Roger Moore being billed as the new James Bond. This was 50 years ago now. Right. Yeah. I'm old. So it's it's well, like it's, it's it's like I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, but if you think about it, this is what doesn't I know the numbers make sense, but in my mind it doesn't, which is we're in the 60th anniversary. So 60 years ago it all kicked off. But halfway in the film run is Roger. But that was he started 50 years ago. So only yeah. 10 years difference. That's it's, <clears throat> I, Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, I, I remember when when uh, the Living Daylights came out, and you know, there was this big thing about that they were going to be a bit more serious. But there was also the big thing that it was the twentieth twenty fifth anniversary um, Bond film, and there was a, you know, a TV show on probably on ITV and so on, all, all this kind of stuff. So it, it was all all over the news. But for me, that feels like a recent Bond film. Yeah, it does. It does, and I, in fact, I think that same show was also here in the U.S. on ABC. And it's, you know, and it's, yeah. it's thirty-five years ago. <laughs> I know it's 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 stunning, and it's like like wait, I was a young man when this was on. What's going on? Um, and and the thing is, actually, on that TV show, actually, I think Roger Moore looked a little better than he did actually right. in a view to a kill. Mm-hmm. Um. And I remember kidding with someone at work. I said, "Yeah, yeah, he's he's retired from James Bond, but he's not retired from making money." Um, <laughs> that was the guy's my coworker's joke. But you know, he it, it was a really well done special, and they did some really neat editing tricks because at one point this was like no, this wasn't CGI. So at some point, he's wearing a ski outfit similar to where yeah. he wore in you know for your eyes only and he's doing a shtick and then he like skis backwards off the frame and then you go into a for your eyes only clip with the same outfit but no he was he was great and again that's also a testament about how roger moore was such a great ambassador for the show for the series um you know he was doing this stuff and you know it but yeah and and think about how long ago this was and yeah, I my daughter was born that year, so like I'm really <laughs> thinking about how long ago it was. Yeah, and something we're never going to see again, right? I don't think we're going to see Craig doing a special about handing <laughs> over to whoever the new person is. It's just like, no, no. I mean, maybe um, Naomi Harris might kind of do something, but it wouldn't right. have the same effect. But It'd be uh, a narrated clip show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, and it doesn't look like we have. I know there's a music documentary coming out, but it doesn't look like there's going to be a sixty years of James Bond ninety minute type thing, which we got for the fiftieth um, with everything or nothing. Oh right? uh, yeah, of course we did. Yeah, I, I, I was I was thinking, what was that? I missed it. But yeah, and now I'm like, shit, that was ten years ago. Like, yeah, well, and also. And also in 2006, you had that thing on British television, which was strictly about the t- uh, the title songs. Um, yes. 
but we're probably not going to get anything like that either. I mean, that special was pretty entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's just, I, I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure Eon's even thinking these terms well, these days. I mean, that goes back to my point about like, are we beyond living memory for a lot of this stuff now? Because if you would say, let's do a 60th anniversary documentary in the one series, who are you going to get to right. talk about the early ones now? I mean, it's well, all secondhand information now, isn't it? Well, when you stop and think about it, okay. So, okay, Ian Fleming is born in 1908. Covey Broccoli is born in 1909. Maybom's born in 1909. Then, like, you go uh, take a step. So, you got Connery born in 1930 and Joanna Harwood born in 1930. She's still around, but, you know, but it's, you know, Mankiewicz is gone. I mean, Mankiewicz is born in, like, 42. Uh, and he died a little young, but still, it's just, you know, it's just, you know. You know, you know who's still around thinking about it? Our favorite. John Monty Lynn. Norman. Oh. Monty <laughs> Norman, that's right. You know, 1928, if I remember right, but in that range. As, yeah. a, as, a, as per your, you never retire from making money. Um, right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's funny, but yeah. But, but yes, it's so... We are so removed from the people who created all this stuff. You know, yeah. the so a documentary allegedly. about the, well, yeah. allegedly. The, a, a documentary yeah. about the, the truth of how the James Bond uh, theme was composed. Yeah, brought to you by lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 seriously, you know, it's it's you know, it's so. I mean, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the lyricist from. Uh, on her Majesty's Secret Service. Like, he was born in, like, 1931. Um, it's just, I mean, and John Barry died a l- slightly young, but, you know, he was mm-hmm. born in 1931. He'd be, in, he'd be in his 90s if he were alive. And it's just, we are just so removed. And, again, I said this earlier, like, all this stuff makes me feel old, but uh, you know, it, it feels like yesterday to me. Well, from, from what I, I understand, yeah. John Barry enjoyed the 1960s a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm no doubt. No doubt. Um, so I do wonder. I mean, if 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 what we're left with is Monty Norman and Joanna Harwood, the only two people that worked on Doctor Who still around, in terms of non-cast members, right? Right. Um, which I think is true. Um, somebody will email us if it's not, but I'm just mentally going down the, the production crew in my head. Right, um, and, and in terms of cast, we've got Ursula Andress. She's about I think. it. Uh, um, yeah, and, that's about um, it. Uh, the photographer lady in the in the Caribbean is still around. Um, yeah. She's got some very interesting stories about Terence Young. Um, is she? Yeah, yeah, and Sean Connery trying it on with her and stuff. It's actually quite good. <laughs> yeah. um, well, of course. Um, but did I you? Did she? Did she say uh, shave his back oh, while well, he was at it? But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I didn't mean to go there. But. I do wonder, because of that, that airbrushing of history is now just going to be a thing we have to put up with because there's no first-person accounts left anymore, and yeah. the official line is going to be what's convenient. You know, there – I think you're right in general. There are a few places you can find stuff, but, and I, um, I recently, last month, I dug out something I originally wrote in 2016 and I updated it. Um, 
you know, there's this book, A Bond for Bond, and there were all these memos. The, the main value of that book isn't in the text of the book so much as it's reproducing the memos. And so, like, you know, Terrence Young having two-thirds of his salary impounded until right. film finances got its money back and stuff like that. To me, that's the main value of that book. But that kind of stuff is going to be, you know, it's as time and goes on, it's going to be harder and harder to get. The, the 21st century version of that is the Sony hack. That's right. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, and I don't think that's been fully mined yet either. Mm. I know, like, we took a um, kind of a decision to keep away from it because of the legal question marks over <laughs> should you be able to read this? Um and I know a lot of the trade pubs kind of um, just cherry picked some stuff out of it, but I don't think anybody's has anybody fully gone through the whole trench of um, Spectre pre-production from those I, hacks. I bet they didn't, but I mean, but even the cherry pick stuff is like pretty. Yeah, everybody like tries to sweep that stuff under the rug because at one point there was you know Blofeld was going to be an African warlord and. All this and that yeah. and the other and well the um the one that really piqued my interest was um the negotiations between I think it was it was Eon and MGM talking about product placement and I wanna say it was Omega, but it could have easily been a phone company or Sony. It's probably Sony actually. Um and it was like if we get Daniel Craig to do the advert Two million quid goes to Daniel Craig, or one point five million quid, or whatever. Yeah, it was. This, was, this was Nokia, I think. Nokia. Um, however, and then and then somebody from Eon, and I, I don't know if it was Broccoli herself, but in the email trail, it's on WikiLeaks. It was like, well, how about we get somebody like Ben Wishaw to do it because he'll be cheaper, like only half a million quid, and we'll keep the difference. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was like and- stunning that like, behind their guys' back, they're like taking this money away, and give it to somebody else. Um, and pocketing the difference is like, welcome to movie movie accounting, folks. Yeah. Well, 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 and even without the uh, the Sony hacks, I mean, remember in 2013, Daniel Craig. This was at the New York Auto Show, and he did this appearance. It was for uh, oh, that was Land the strangest Rover. thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's like, like what, what part of it was recorded and what was live. Nobody could quite tell. Yeah. Oh yeah, God. And, and he and just he, drove and, a Land Rover into the through the city into the building, something didn't he? And yes, and he and as soon as he could get out, he got out. And because I was working at Bloomberg at the time, and my boss, my direct boss, was covering that event, and he filed a story, and I had to edit it, and I I had to trim it because he didn't know Bond the way I knew Bond, and but it just it sounded like it was just a really weird event, and. Craig collected a lot of money for not a lot of work, put it that way. I, th- um, I think we got one picture of him standing next to the car. Yeah, and yeah. That was it. And then he walked Yeah, off. it was, it was like, he didn't really want to be there. It was, that was clear. And just, yeah. And, and I just felt in a very weird position having to edit my superior's copy. And it's like, well, this needs some work. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Well, I got to, be true to myself and actually edit it out because he had a, you know what he he put in a uh, he put in the most obvious cl- cliche name is Craig Daniel Craig no this is not going in this story no I took it out 
<laughs> you know, just minor aside, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but it was a weird event. It was just a strange event overall. <laughs> Good luck finding that online anyway now. And that wasn't that long ago. And that's already kind of been washed away. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I do wonder, are, are we only going to get now the officially sanctioned histories of these early days? Because unless you're digging through star logs or old out-of-print books or old out-of-print magazines from the time where they did more candid interviews yeah. before it was too controlled, when, we're not going to see that. No, I, I, I think Ooh, you're right. I, I mean, yeah. you, you just look at how uh, the re- the revisionism that's been going on throughout the Craig era. It's just uh, it's constant. It's just like you know, basically from Quantum of Solace. Was, Quantum of Solace is a great film. Then then Skyfall. Well, yeah, Quantum of Solace wasn't quite that good. We missed the mark there a bit, and uh, <laughs> a bit. i mean i mean i told this to david uh recently i mean so like daniel craig claimed that like oh it was my idea to call it quantum of solace and like really seriously yeah we we were told he was was, they held up a bunch of cards with different titles and that's the one he picked right and 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 then uh, it was just it was such ridiculous and then he even said oh those fleming titles don't mean anything don't mean anything. Well, I think Dr. No means something. I think Goldfinger means something. For Your Eyes Only is explained. Live and Let Die is explained. All in the Fleming books that Craig claimed to have read. Um, but, you know, fans don't really care about that stuff because, mm. well, you're being negative. Well, sorry. Sorry about that, fans. Yeah. But um, so, you know, one one extra layer on the onion then. If, if because we're outside of living memory on the early era, and the official line is somewhat airbrushed. Um, that means fandom is going to accept that as the history. Well, and then uh, are we, are we going to become naysayers that were like, well, that film was actually a disaster in production. It went over budget. They impounded people's money. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> where, are the, where are the receipts for these well, things? That's the- not what it says in the official 007 logo book. Well, well, here's the other thing. So even when, in the early years when this was going on, remember they in when Roger Moore was cast, I mean, I've seen the clip where Harry Salton said, well, we were interested in Roger Moore, but he was unavailable. No, they never approached Roger Moore. And Roger Moore in his own autobiography said he didn't, he wasn't approached. So, I mean, they've been doing this, you know, for 50 years already so it's going to get even worse now with nobody around to actually dispute these right. these outrageous accounts yeah yeah and there is going to be a generation of fandom that comes along that takes what this buys what they're selling i guess on some of these stories you know but- it, it, this was on the mi6 hq message boards no oh, this God. was this was this was like 10 15 years ago i forget exactly when but you know somebody said well harry saltzman wasn't a real producer wasn't a real producer he was like in charge of the scripts and i mean there's this tendency you know history is written by the victors and mm-hmm. in the in the in the broccoli saltzman dispute you know broccoli was the winner but you know i mean i think and i've said this i i wrote about this this year you know it's like i don't think saltzman gets enough credit for those early films uh from from current fans because 
again, the victors write the history and, yeah. you know. So well, now this, this is a very good example, Bill, of how the airbrushing of history is just going to be accepted as fact now. Yeah, because Saltzman is viewed as kind of like an eccentric crank. Well, and he was he was clearly a volatile guy, and it's you know I mean that's very clear. But I think we would not have gotten the Bond film series that we got had Saltzman not been working with Broccoli. You know, in other words, had it had the thing been a Broccoli thing from the start it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. Now, those two quickly came to loggerheads by, ni- you know, by 1965, you know, when Saltzman's starting to do like the, the Ipcris files mm-hmm. and all these other projects. But, but for those, you know, from like say 62 to 65, that was magic. But, you know, Saltzman doesn't get credit today. No. I, that I, I think he should. I think that's that's right. There's also something else that uh, I think um, people these days um, tend to accept what's given to them, and it, maybe it's because of information overload. There's so much information out there that people don't go digging to um, to find out whether it's true or not, and or, or find it out whether there are different points of view a lot of the time. And, um, you know, because these days, you know, you, you can be much more, more transparent about things and, you know, uh, the, but, and it, but a Bond film is just like complete lockdown and, you know, I, I probably a Bond film needs to be locked down like that, but, you know, that they could have somebody along to to chronicle it, I suppose, if they wanted to and and right. uh, show that, you know, movie making isn't just a, a, a question of... of um... Well, here's another example. So I never learned this until 1983 because, okay, why, you know, why did they have all these different Felix lighters? Well, it turned out um, they actually did offer Jack Lord a chance to come back. The problem was Jack wanted too much money and wanted extra billing as well. So it's like, oh, I never knew that. And But the only reason that came out was because Starlog Magazine interviewed Richard Maybaum for a feature story. And then he he gave out the information. Um, right. I, yeah. So I can think of two examples to, you, to your, your point, David, about the, the truth is often hidden away. One is um, when they were doing The World Is Not Enough, mm-hmm. they were doing like weekly blog updates on the production okay. written by Yarborough, who is a fictional ah, person. But we yeah. actually know who that person was that was writing it, and they still yeah. work at you. Um, they wrote those like, this is what we shot this week. But the last blog, which was like, I forget which the last scenes of that film were shot were, was published the week before the film came out. So they time shifted the entire history of the production deliberately so that it would crest, right, just as the film was coming out. Uh. Like, yeah, that's not true. Um, but the most recent egregious example I can think of deliberately rewriting, right, rewriting history uh, and nobody asking any questions to wrong foot people was in one of the official books released last year. I forget whether it was the car book or something else. It lists Nomi as being 003. Right. Yes. That was deliberate misinformation put in an official book, which somebody's going to have on their shelf as a reference book 
And we'll what? assume it's true. We'll assume it's true. <laughs> yeah. So you can't trust anything in these official books. I, I've, I've got I've got one of the the books here, and th- there was something, but I th- I think the book I've got says that she is 007. But yeah, I, I want to say it was the car book or something. I can't remember. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, a few people flagged that when that book came out because it came out before the film, and obviously they wanted to protect the um, the yeah. reveal. But then why mention it at all? Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and we won't even, well, I'll, I'll mention it briefly. Like, so we also have, you know, Naomi Harris isn't playing money penny. We have Christoph Waltz isn't playing Blofeld. Oh wait, they are. And all that stuff. That's true. But they weren't in official publications, which were supposed to be reference books. But, but they were, but they were officially blessed by their bosses who had, yeah. Said here, here, name it. You say this, Christoph. You say this. Um, oh, oh, anyway. oh, oh, right. Yeah, uh, I've got it in front of me. Yeah, oh, it, it's okay. the it's the fifty greatest Bond cars on page eighty. Aston Martin DBS Superleggera, and it says in No Time to Die, the DBS Superleggera is the MI6 vehicle issued to Agent 003. Know me. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, and and if I can just say this, we have the receipts, people. Yeah, there you go. I just want to say this. I would ask for my money back, but it was given to me. (laughs) Yeah, and and just to reassure our listeners, it's like this is not criticism. This is just you know fact checking, and it's just sloppy. Yeah, at best it's sloppy. At worst, it's deliberate. Yeah. This I do believe was deliberate to wrong foot people because they didn't want to give it away. But again, right. why not just say MI6's latest agent, know me. Full La- stop. Latest double O agent. I mean yeah. There, yeah. there there are there are numerous ways that it could have been massaged without but overtly my, my, lying. My my point to this is if if they're willing to do that, then not I think it's more through omission in the official histories that are being written now. A lot of stuff is deliberately being left out because it's not necessarily comfortable on brand positive but if if it's not warts and all i I get it some people just want to read puff that's fine oh yeah to me the more interesting thing is like what actually happened well i mean well hell's bells i mean again going back to 1986 i guess it was where cubby broccoli michael g wilson said oh no we didn't sign pierce brosnan at all like you know Dalton was always our first choice. And What's this? This picture yeah. of his person signing a contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's not like this is new. The problem, but getting back to the whole point of this podcast, is like with the uh, with the passage of time, it yeah. gets easier to pull this stuff off. It does, and it's harder to dispute it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are we looking ahead? I mean, it, let's assume um, – that it's going to be at least a couple of years before they make a move on the new person, um, given they're busy with Broadway plays and all that kind of other stuff. Um, oh, are they on, are they busy with Broadway again? Yeah. So oh, God. Craig's Macbeth is produced by Barbara and Michael. Yeah. So they're going to be doing that through this year. Um, looping back to the con- conceit of this episode is with a new era around the corner 
that corner could be a very long way away. But um, a lot of people have been talking about, well, they're just going to go back to the original timeline, right? Of it's a character with shared history, but the chronology doesn't matter kind of idea of stuff. It's like, yeah, but yeah, is that now too I, far? Is that now too far gone? I, I, I think um, it, I, I think it is. I don't I don't see how they can do that. They need to do some kind of reboot. But what I mean is, like, if it was just like, let's just pop into a random mission and in passing reference mention Tracy, it's like, I don't think they can do that. No, they're going to do no. that now. No, they can't do that. Uh, well, they can try. <laughs> they can always try. But no, I think it's, it's just, I oh. think that's too far gone. Think- so if we look at Do- Dr. No through to Die Another Day as one universe, right? Mm-hmm of a character with a shared history, which is kind of as tight as chronology you can get. And then you've got the Craig era as a bubble universe. Right? Yeah. Cause it was a reboot. A third one. It's going to be another, well, it's going to be another timeline bubble, isn't it? It's yeah. not going to hark back to the uh, so-called classic era. No, well, I, I, well, I, I, that's what I mean. It, it has to be rebooted in some way. It, well, except uh, again, this goes back to that 1995 fan convention. Michael G. Wilson said, it's not one series, it's a series of series. So even then, he was laying the background for that. Now, does that matter, you know, something all those years ago, does that matter now? I don't know. But like, even then, he was like, <laughs> yeah. laying the background, lay, laying the groundwork, well, I should say. I do wonder if there's going to be more social media commentary about how can they not mention Vespa with the new person versus oh. how can they not reference, you know, anything that went prior to Craig? They, um, they, they managed not to, not to mention uh, Tracy. <laughs> right. If, if they put their minds to it, they can find all sorts of things not to mention. <laughs> yeah. Let's include, uh, we have all the time in the world, but not mention Tracy. They right. wouldn't do it, would they? <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> i'm sorry i'm laughing so um what i'm trying to say is i'm i'm trying to brace myself that this is going to be a third era yep. coming up i agree and the first one is 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 gathering dust now um well creatively yep. creatively it's gathering dust it's kind of that's it now it's on the shelf <laughs> The only other alternative, and I'm not advocating for this, I would think it'd be horrible to do, but if they wanted to uh, go with the uh, code name theory, and they decide, okay, Bond's dead, but we have to have a new Bond, so we're going with the code name theory. Yes, it, I'm there. I, I'm there. Oh, yeah, I got that. There you go. And I'm right there. I am right there. That is the only alternative to doing another hard reboot. That is, and and like that would be horrible. I'm not advocating right. that at all. Yeah, I, I reckon I, I I'm <laughs> I'm out if if that's, if they do that. It's uh, yeah, but yeah, but David, years ago, if it had said Blofeld's going to be his half brother, you'd have been like, oh. I'm out. No, <laughs> right? yeah. I'm getting off. I'm I'm getting off. I'm getting off the uh, merry-go-round right now. Yeah, well, I <laughs> and, and equally, I would have been too. I'd have been like, "Don't be ridiculous. They'd never be that dumb." So, yeah, they'd never be dumb enough to kill him off either, would they? Right. Well, that's it. Or give him a chance. And I think we're I think we're frogs in water at this point. 
mean wait, frogs wait. in boiling water you mean well we don't we're not aware of the temperature <laughs> because we've been sitting in it for so long now <laughs> right uh that anything is anything would be accepted at this point yeah uh well <laughs> please don't do it Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing too hard. <laughs> I, I do try to be nice about all their creative decisions, but sometimes it's, it's a bit difficult. Yeah, and we used to think the invisible car was going too far. <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe not something we can answer straight away, but I mean, uh, apart from Amazon's movie of the week, I, I was struggling to come up with ways of getting new fans engaged in the older films. I think it's going to be harder and harder and harder as time moves on, as the official series airbrushes that stuff out. It's all going to be about Craig's era until the new guys cast. Um, well, I mean, I mean, films are outside of li- living memory for, for most people in terms of cultural context. Right. During the publicity of No Time to Die, you had Kerry Fukunaga right. calling Bond, Connery well, Bond a rapist. And it's like, okay, we're like washing our hands of this. Well, and, also, he said his first Bond movie he saw was A View to Kill in 85. Right. So the generation of filmmakers that are going to be doing the new films, none of them, I doubt any of them would have grown up with anything pre-Roger. And and and, and I think uh, uh, Sam Mendes said his first Bond film was Living Like Die. Die. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're right. And so at some point, you know, they'll hire a director whose first Bond film was maybe Timothy Dalton if they don't uh, skip straight to uh, I, I <laughs> to Pierce Brosnan. I would not be shocked if somebody on the production team of the new movie's first Bond film they saw was Casino Royale. Oh uh, yeah. Oh God, yes, because he is the he is the Lord, he is the God. Well, no, I mean, he is the- well that that and you know it's everybody's favorite Bond film when they're working on the films. But right. that but just the age. Yeah. That was two thousand six. Oh. If you were twenty in two thousand six, you were born in eighty six, which means you know you're thirty five. I mean that's yeah. perfectly plausible. I I I think it, as somebody whose first Bond film was Casino Royale, and if they take that as the template, then that's a good thing. If it's Skyfall, mm. then oh god, <laughs> yeah. But oh, or, 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 I'll, I'll take it a step further. Oh, my first Bond film was Quantum of Solace. <laughs> I much prefer Quantum of Solace to Skyfall. Well, I've, I was about to say, yeah, I love I love the uh, the slow uh, edits on uh, Quantum of Solace. Some future director. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but it just was, to, it mean, was the last Bond film that had um, a decent score. David Arnold. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. It's it's. David and I had a brief discussion. I am. Um, we talked about what did you get for Christmas? I said, I got the, uh, I got the, uh, no time to die score. And David said, yeah, the part of the score I like best were the ones from, uh, uh, David Arnold and from John Perry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's a very valid point because, um, Hans Zimmer did not get nominated for the no time to die score, but if he got yeah. nominated, it should well, have been for like adopted adapted I, score I rather than original. I, I don't think it was, um, I don't think he could have been 
Because didn't they put in all these wonky rules this year? Like it has to be eighty-five percent original. Um, they had oh. all these thresh- they had all these thresholds they put in on the score. Okay, for best original score, and I was like, that seems very specific. It seems very specific, and and plus, like you know, like Zimmer didn't write all of it anyway, and he told yeah. everybody he didn't and write it anyway. There's, there's so a, there's a threshold on how much you must have written of it, too. Not just the well, borrowed bits that you borrowed from other people, but uh, right. if you're going to take right. credit for it, do, but how much did somebody else do? They they used to have a category for best adapted score. So like Marvin Hamlish won an Oscar for adapting Scott Joplin's music for The Sting. Again, he didn't compose the original music, but he tweaked it and he adapted it for the movie and he got an Oscar for I, it. But I, it was I, I, didn't clearly, know, I didn't know he did the music for it. Adapted well, again, yeah. yeah, but it, again, it was adapted music score. And and in that year, I mean, that particular year, Hamlish walked off with a lot of Oscars. <laughs> so, and, but yeah, the sting was part of it. And again, it wasn't an original score. So, yeah, they, but, but I, you know, I don't know if they still give out adapted score or not, but anyway, so. just some trivia there. Um, but um, what I was trying to get at was, Talking about the next gen, I mean, Fukunaga was seen as a next gen filmmaker, but I think Mendez was really the first next gen filmmaker because he grew up with Roger as Bond, whereas whereas everybody prior to him, correct me if I'm wrong, the template was Goldfinger that they always referenced when interviewed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case going ahead. I think it's going to be Casino or Goldeneye. The funny thing thing with with Goldfinger is that, you know, I, I, I. I've, I've I've always watched the Bond films and just you know I just kind of accept them as what they are. But I remember watching Goldfinger once, and you know this is probably about ten years or or longer uh, ago. And I thought, God, how dated it all looks. And I, I'd I'd never had that thought before. So, um, uh, and you know if if it looks if it looks old to me, uh, I can't imagine how it looks to to somebody who is now you know 10 or 15 or or, or of, of an age to get into the old films they're, they're not going right. to do it i think right or, or or even 35 or 40 you know because again their um their perspective will be based on when they were kids so so it's like a 40 year old so like when they were like 20 15 like oh, that's old <laughs> like gold fingers <laughs> old yeah. So I think that comes back to our original point, which was cultural context and just the sheer number of years on the clock now. Um, is yeah. there going to be much interest in the older films from newer audiences? I, I, I don't. I think, I don't to, think so. to maintain an audience, they need to make more films. Sorry, Eon. Right. <laughs> yeah yeah you're right and and also it, it goes back to you know the perspective of of new audiences so and there are definitely problematical aspects of those earlier films we don't need to dwell on that but you know they exist and you know some of them are so back projection <laughs> well, well well i mean like okay like last year i was golfing with with a friend and he's like a few years older than i and we were chatting about bond films and he said yeah there's some problematical issues with those films i said well i know i'm aware of that but he was less forgiving than i was but uh anyway just 
So anyway, so if he's about 70, it's like, so, okay, somebody who's like 40, 35, that might be more of an issue. Yeah. Okay, just just on that, though, uh, there was something uh, when Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, first came on, and she she said something along the lines of, um, Bond doesn't need to treat women well, but the series does. And mm. I, I thought that that I, I, I thought that was a good point. I, if you hadn't, if you'd have just given me that, well, I knew I knew she said that. But if you took that quote, I'd say that's a criticism of the Craig era, because Skyfall Bond Bond, <laughs> Bond does treat I think women better in Craig era than Connery's Bond early did, but but the films don't. Yes, films you, treat yeah. them terribly. Yes. Um, <laughs> Not Severin. Severin is treated horribly. Yes. Well, no, that's what I mean. Is yeah, the that's films what, yeah. Treat the women terribly, not so much Bond. And um, so I don't know if that was uh, too well thought out, that quote. Um, I, I suspect that quote was uh, some talking points from the PR department. Yeah. Yeah, but I, 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 I didn't think, Bill, that. Uh, although I agree with you, there's issues that modern audiences would kind of grimace or wince at sometimes in the earlier films. I don't think that's the thing that's going to stop them watching them. I just think it's no. going to be lack of interest because it's like the sixties is not a thing for the, this, that generation and all the seventies and it's just going to look too dated. No, J- James, I think you're right. I, one quote, one issue I have with the way the, uh, Current films have been marketed, they, and they've been doing this for 25 years. When they say, oh, those early films are terrible, but the new films are really great when it comes to women. And, uh, you know, it's like, I don't think that's the way to market movies these days. And particularly with No Time to Die, they, they talked up, no, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they talked up these issues. And, and you know, it's like I consider these issues important, but I don't think that's the way to market your movie. And mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, maybe it works in international audiences, but I don't think it worked in in the U.S. And I think that might might I'm speculating here might explain why No Time to Die was a little soft in the U.S. compared to the global. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but yeah. So what a problem to have. Um, for the franchise, because on the one hand, you've got the first era, which is culturally out of touch with most of the A1 demographic now. So hard to hang a hat on that. And then on the other hand, you've got, well, this is a bookended closed universe of the Craig era that we're not going to reference in the reboot. So we're not going to lean into that either. So it's, where did it go? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've thought about this and I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what, they can do next. Uh, I think they they've, they've stuck themselves in a corner, which which can be a good thing, but it can also, if they if they don't have the right ideas, it can it could yeah. mean the end of the series. Well, you know the solution: sell it, let somebody else figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how well, many times have we been uh, correct in our projections on this podcast? Mm. Um, so. I'll, I'll be clipping this three years from now. <laughs> well, 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 James, just cue up the, that uh, buzzer thing. But like, whatever you do, don't do the code name theory. Don't right. do it. Right. Eh, eh, eh. Okay. 
Either way, we'll be clipping this episode three years from now. All right. So on that note, thank you to Bill. Thank you for David. And um, we'll see you again soon. Okay. Great. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Raindrops are falling on my head. And just like the man who's been a too big for his bed. And nothing seems to fit. Those raindrops are falling on my head. They keep falling. So I just did me some talking to the sun. And I said I don't like the way he got things done. Sleeping on the jump. Those raindrops are falling on my head. They keep falling. Send to meet me, won't defeat me. It won't be long till happiness steps up to greet me. Raindrops keep falling on my head. But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red. Crying stop for me, cause I'm never going to stop the rain by complaining. I'm free, nothing's worrying me. Raindrops keep falling on my head, they keep falling. They send to meet me won't defeat me. It won't be long till happiness steps up to greet me. Raindrops be falling on my head. That doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red. Crying stop for me, cause I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining.